This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by Ape Entertainment, who is proud to present the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves coming to a comic shop near you this March. This is Owen Craig, co-host of Panel Culture and the Four Camera Flashback, and you are listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and me. What? Matt's still there. He's in the next week. Welcome to episode 101 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news the week of Wednesday, January 27th. My name is Matt Baum. That is at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. I went out ditching my hapless and helpless co-host for hard-drinking drugs, rock and roll, and hookers. I'm appraising comics and writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. Ditching me? Nothing. Just read your script. You're fine. And I'm Joe Patrick, at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not desperately trying to figure out how this damn comp tutor works while trying to... Trying to find a new co-host. Just, just keep going. Just roll with it. You're fine. What? We don't have time for this. We gotta play D and D tonight. Come on. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist of Good Plus, which you can find at www.goodpluscomic.com. You're a terrible actor, too, sir. This week, you'll hear reviews of Invincible 100 and Doctor What Who do you mean? <laughs> Prisoners of Time. After that, we'll review 10 more comics so fast, Colin Kaepernick won't even be able to catch us. I do not dur- understand that reference. During Ludicrous Speed Round. Then, we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Paint Thinner and the Son of Satan himself will help us learn the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, we'll present a short best-of audio reel of our birthday party for those of you who couldn't attend or just plain weren't invited. You know who you are, Aaron Myers. Before we get to the desperate begging and bargaining that precedes a teary-eyed goodbye, let's have ourselves a little Super Bowl wager, shall we? I don't... Joe Patrick. I don't understand what's happening. I would like to bet you $20 that you cannot name one starting player for either team in this week's Super Bowl. I'll give you a hint. It is the San Francisco 49ers versus the Baltimore Ravens. I knew that second one. All you gotta do is name one player. Just one. Joe Namath. I named one in the opening monologue. Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> wow. What's the Super Bowl? Now let's just talk about this week's big news, folks. <laughs> we start off the week with a pretty small development in a story that always leads to a big discussion. Marvel Comics has teased fans with the possibility of new Miracle Man, I'm sorry, Marvel Man, stories for years now ever since the publisher secured the rights to the property. However, aside from some reprints of the least in-demand stories featuring the character, <laughs> there has been no indication that Marvel has more Miracle Marvel Man in the works. That was until this week, when Marvel filed a trademark on Kamota, the magic word that transforms Mike Moran into the superhuman Miracle Marvel Man. Yeah, I think from here on out, he is. we will refer to him as Miracle Marvel Man. Or Marvel Miracle Man. Or Marvel Miracle Man. <laughs> Either one. <laughs> this small bit of forward momentum may or may not mean that Marvel is any closer to producing new material with the character. My question is, after all of this time and the long waits and delays, does anybody still care? I can't speak for everyone. I certainly don't care. I don't care. I don't care. The only, re- the only way I care... Is if they actually get the rights to reprint the Alan Moore. Yeah, because those were really good. But guess what? If you really want to read those, you can find them. Yeah, I mean, they're around. It's not like they vanished. We have the internet now. They are around. Yeah, I mean, but that's not the point. And we're not saying go steal your comics. No, certainly not. (laughs) And you can't, you know, if you want to, you can certainly go buy the back issues. But I don't care. And new ones, I really don't care. I honestly don't. And if they bring them back, is it going to be like another century? 
You know, yeah. I mean, like, what do you really do yeah. with a character like this in the Marvel universe? I will start taking notice if they get somebody like Neil Gaiman to come and do it. Because I suppose. Gaiman I s- left the story hanging yeah. when the original series folded. And if they get him to come back, I mean, he's in there, or they are in his good graces, as far as I know. And it could happen. But I don't like. The last thing I want, no offense to anybody currently writing for Marvel, is something like Frank Thierry's Miracle Man. <laughs> no offense to anyone except for you, Frank Thierry. But no, but no I don't mean, that, like, okay, I don't want Brian Michael Bendis's Miracle Man. No, no, I no. want, like, Miracle Man from somebody, like, with credible. a, somebody a credible. history with You're the right. character. And that's the only way I would take notice of it. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't care. All right. In Hollywood news, 20th Century Fox has purchased the film rights to Matt Kent's Mind MGMT. Migment. Migment, sorry. <laughs> Kent's bizarre tale of mind games and psychic spies is only eight issues old, and none other than Alien director Ridley Scott is attached to produce the film adaptation, but is Mind Migment a good fit for the silver screen? Joe? I don't know. Like, it seems like there's way too much going on to squeeze into one movie. Uh, that, okay, that's where I'm going to go with this. I want to be excited for this. Love Ridley Scott. I think he's a very interesting name to attach to it. I would rather see him produce a series yes, based on this comic, because there's too much. I think that th- you could make an, an amazing, ongoing, like serialized... Oh, yeah. Uh, like hour long drama about it. I think you could make a four hour movie out of the first three issues. I mean, it's so deep and yeah. thick. You know, I I mean, really, there's too much there to do in one. Yeah, movie. I mean, at the very least, you could do, make one movie out of the first issue. There's with too all the much. Disappearing it's going to be people. too bizarre. Or and the I don't, amnesic people, rather. right? I don't want to see that crushed into one movie. I'd like to no. see this as a series. Yep, I agree. I That's think my it's only great bitch. for Matt Kent. Yes, that he Hollywood is it. paying attention to this thing. Uh, it speaks to you know how creative and unique and it's an and, amazing book. Yeah, I think that is absolutely great for him, and I hope it leads to great things for him. Yes, I do too. But you know, things get optioned all the time, and thankfully, and who knows? Maybe Ridley Scott is attached to produce a TV series. We don't know. I mean, it says film adaptation, but who knows? That's true. All we know right now is that the the, the rights have been secured. Right. It could it. mean anything. So I guess we'll pay attention and see what develops. We'll see. Finally, we've had zero months, negative one flashback issues, comics that are numbered in reverse order, and feature coupon cutouts, but this is the first gimmick literally designed to make fans ask, what the f***? (laughs) All of DC's April New 52 releases will feature gatefold covers that have shocking moments tying to the issue's events. According to Editor-in-Chief Bob Harris, the theme of this mini-event is, quote, Game-changing, quote, upping the stakes, end quote, for DC's heroes (laughs) and other buzzwords. (laughs) Some of the shocking events promised are the return of... Sounded like you were having a stroke while you did that. (laughs) (laughs) The return of long-lost characters like Booster Gold and the Creeper. Oh, the Creeper? Yeah. (laughs) I don't care. Character deaths. Team shakeups and more appearances by the new gods. Oh boy! Well, but that might be fun. I don't care. Among other, among gods. other things, coinciding with what the fuck month will be Detective Comics number nineteen, which would have been the title's nine hundredth issue. I'm glad DC is marking the occasion with class. Do we care? No. Again, we don't care. And I mean, we can go back into the fact that DC has screwed up the relaunch, and we don't like it. And anything they do now seems like a gimmick, but that's what we're getting from DC. Gimmick after gimmick after gimmick. I don't see how putting something on the cover that directly ties 
to the comic is a new thing. Doesn't every cover directly tie no. to what's going on? I'm holding the cover of Green Lantern 15 in my hands, and it shows the new Green Lantern guy. Yes, but look at the cover to Green Lantern 16 right underneath. Okay. It's just like, heroic pose. Well, sure, but something like this happens in it. <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, right. he's doing this stuff. I, I'm saying the covers apply to the book already. How is this something new? Who cares? No, I mean, Other I, than it's a gatefold cover with a shocking moment. Well, so, like, like a draw-dropping I open the gateful cover and I go, really? They're going to cut Batman's head off? Well, here's the rumor. Like, <laughs> you know, like, they're, they're showing like halves of the covers right now. Right. The cover for All-Star Western has Jonah Hex panning for gold. What? Uh, and somebody is holding a gun to his head. What you don't see, and this is the rumor, is that on the other side of the gatefold, it's a booster gold. What? Yeah, because the guy has a gold gun, or a gold glove, and a blue knee. Okay. Time traveler. Why is Booster putting a gun to Jonah Hex? But that's not the point. The okay, point okay, is okay, like, I get it, I get it. It's like, what the f***? It's supposed to point. You're like, what the hell? I don't know. I mean, and if they're good, they're good. Great. I just, this seems like another DC gimmick to trick me into well, reading DC comics that I, mean, I don't want to read. This isn't exclusive to DC. I mean, no, comic companies no. do gimmicks all the time. Mar- Marvel Now is a gimmick. The New 52 is a we'll gimmick. We'll talk about that more in our question of the week. Yeah, the, the zero month. You know, all of this stuff is designed to get people interested. I always like when there are these unified elements. So maybe this will be good. Maybe it really will get people talking. Maybe. And at least if DC's interest is to actually spur excitement in their stories rather than just cranking out this corporate nonsense, then eh, you know. they have to do something. They're I want trouble. them to do something. They're in trouble and they have to do something. Exactly. And their sales numbers are starting to show it. Exactly. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where the cover for the next episode of THN features me riding in a limousine with lots of sexy hoes, bling, and drugs everywhere while a crying Joe Patrick is on the other scene at home, alone, all by himself. I wonder what the f*** is going on there. Each week, my ex-life mate, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on Facebook and Twitter. I don't like this. And then we read your responses on the show. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to host this damn show. This week's question was, foil covers, zero issues, theme months, etc. What is your favorite comic book gimmick of years past? Our first answer of the week comes from Wade Lyles, who says, I love... Glow in the dark covers. I love <laughs> really? glow in the dark covers. I didn't know anybody loved glow in the dark covers. Hey, you know what? I don't mind them. I I think uh, I agree. I think that they were fun. Uh, Ghost Rider something or other from the nineties ha- had his head all flamey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. There's a Spawn glow in the dark cover. Yeah, Wade Wade says staring at Vengeance, who was the Ghost Rider ripoff, right on the cover of Ghost Rider. Spirits of Vengeance well, number he wasn't 13. A he was a different guy. He was, he was a, a different guy. Yeah. Uh, used to be so cool when I was little. And I remember that cover. They used to do that kind of stuff a lot uh, when we were kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think Lady Death had about 200 glow-in-the-dark covers. That's e- Evil Ernie easily had 500. <laughs> That's a lot of glow-in-the-dark covers. And only like 12 issues. Aaron Myers, King of Askinerd, says his favorite, his variant covers. With some exceptions, like he's not a fan of the new 52 Justice League variants. These days, variant covers bring some amazing art that are really tempting to spend the extra money Sometimes to get. 
Yes. I think case in point, it's like the Adventure Time variants from Boom Oh, Studios those are fantastic. Are really wonderful. The thing that gets me is when uh, companies, like DC is especially guilty of this, when they take the main artist and make him the variant cover. Yeah. And put a different artist on the regular cover, like a really popular, cool, which it's cool. I look at it and go, wow, that's really neat. But what's going to make me want to buy the variant cover by the artist who may not be as good as this guy? <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, I don't get that at all. And I hate one in, like, the one in 100, one in 200 sketch covers. It's dumb. It's stupid. It's, it's a, just it's this... like, oh, look, it's unfinished. I want to pay 99 bucks for an unfinished cover. <laughs> I don't get it. And I really don't know like who falls for that. Like I, I don't think retailers I think they're smart enough. No. I hope that most retailers are smart enough to not order up to that level unless they can actually justify right, it. Right. But I mean if you're gonna order that many anyway, you might as well get the variant and maybe you'll get a completest sure. fan out there. Sure. I don't like them. I think they're dumb. I'm with you there. Right. I think sketch covers in general are stupid. I do too. If you're gonna give me a variant, I want a different piece of art. And if it's gonna be a sketch cover, make it a blank variant that they actually sketched on. You know what? A couple of indie companies have done that lately. I think there was a sketch variant for My Little Pony, and there was a one other one. A few of them have. Dynamite's been doing it, too. Yeah. For a uh, little which while is now. a neat idea. Yeah. But we'll go into that in our answer of the week. Ooh. Heyo. Echoing a little bit on the variant theme, Andrew McBride says uh, he loves zombie themed classic covers a la Marvel Zombies, the classic iconic covers, but with all the characters oh, right, right, replaced right. by Those zombies. Were fun. Yeah. Like, Avengers number four like with Captain America. Dead Spider-Man swinging through yeah. the air with dead and it's corpse. Like, and or like arm. Iron Man yeah. missing half of his body. Yeah. Those were kick-ass. <laughs> they did the Iron Man demon in a bottle one, too, where yeah. he was dead. Yeah, like, looking in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, he says it's played out now, but when it was fresh, it was awesome. Those were I great. do agree. They're a lot of fun. Those are really good. And also, cover theme, Brian Seeley says, I always liked the connecting covers like X-Men number one. You know, where there are multiple covers, but they all piece together to form yeah, one piece of art. I like those, too. Those are cool. Those are fun, and they're fun when they're really cool. done well. Stephen Kohler says, I don't know which company started them, but I remember the old Valiant books having coupons that came in the issues, and then you could send them away for a zero or a one-half issue. Yeah, that was cool. I remember this for Harbinger, and I also remember for a while, the value of the comic was based on if it had the coupon or not. Yeah. Uh, that is not exclusive to 90s Valiant. Hulk 181, the Marvel comics for that year had... the Mar- Was that the Mighty Marvel Marching Society? No, they were like uh, little stamps. They were oh, like okay. collect them all stamps. All right, they weren't yeah. coupons, but they were cutouts. Before that, in like the 60s, they did the... It was the, the Marvel Mary, fan the club, Mary the Mary Marvel, Marvel Marching, Marching Society. Society. And people would cut out the coupons and send it in, but, and your comic was worthless. Like the, <laughs> the, but the best known... Exi- the, the best example is Hulk 181 had one of those stamps in yes. it. Yes. And if your Hulk 181 has a coupon cut out of it, sorry, Charlie. Every time someone brings one in, you got to check. That's right. See if there's a hole. Absolutely. And wrapping up our first round, our buddy Ormick Williams says, Fifth Ink, baby. For those of you not in the printing know-how, all colors are made using a combination of four colors. Fifth Ink covers are what gave 90s comics and some comics today the appearance of silver metallic. Oh, God. Coloring or neon pink. Which happened a lot in the nineties. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> yeah. Like but like bright. Like you so stark you can't miss it. And uh I'm trying to remember what comic. Uh Warriors of Plasm, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I can totally see it. Or it may have been Sludge. I don't know, one of those two. 
Was that uh, claim comics? Marvel Marvel reprints in the nineties, like first appearance of Cable and on those New Mutants issues. Yeah, they did it. They got reprinted. They would change the logos to yeah. like gold metallic, not like embossed, you know, actual foil. No, but it was like but the ink, ink was just metallic, yeah. and that is fifth ink. And I do remember that kind of stuff a little bit fondly. I mean, it's cheesy and Good stupid. Call McWilliams. Fun. That's cool. <laughs> we will check in with more answers later on in the show. As always, guys, we're off to a great start. It's review time on THN where Matt and I take two of this week's new comics out to dinner, get them drunk, and then find out if they're any good in the sack. Matt, what did you read this week? This week I picked up Doctor Who, Prisoners of Time, number one, from IDW Comics, written by Scott and David Tipton. They're related, with art by Simon Fraser. No relation. Here's your solicit. November 23rd, 1963, a day that changed the world forever. That day saw the broadcast debut of Doctor Who, which was to become the longest-running science fiction series on television. And now, 50 years later, we pay tribute to one of the greatest pop culture heroes of all time with this special series, which tells an epic adventure featuring all 11 incarnations of the intrepid traveler through time and space, known simply as The Doctor. I have zero history with Doctor Who comics and very little history with the actual show. For a long time, I thought I was allergic to British sci-fi, much like Cat Dander. Every time I tried to watch any BBC sci-fi, my eyes would begin to itch, my sinuses would fill me with mucus, and I would experience a general loss of well-being. Turns out, I was just being a bit of a baby, and Doctor Who was actually quite palatable. At least the newer BBC series, and I'm not talking about the first season. I think I am still allergic to that one. Nah, first season's good. You just have to power through it. I'm not so much allergic anymore. I'm just very picky. So, how can I resist a new IDW Doc Who series featuring all 11 Doctors? David Tennant, Matt Smith, the new guy, and all the other ones I never gave a about? They're all here. Or they're going to, they're going be, to be here right? anyway. Is, I believe part one of 12. <laughs> yes, this issue opens with a shadowy figure plotting against the Doctor, or rather, all 11 versions of the Doctor. During his narration, the figure states that the Doc is always a different person and has a different personality based on what's needed at that time. Kind of cool, right? Sometimes he's a soldier, other times a madman, and sometimes he's a crippled old man like William Hartnell, the original doctor from the 1960s. I had to look that up. I have no idea who William Hartnell is. He old. He's featured here visiting Thomas Huxley and later tracking some of Huxley's students into the sewers of London where they seem to have been kidnapped by giant alien ants. For those of you who don't know, Huxley pioneered a lot of Darwin's theories. He's an important guy. I don't know. Oh, wait. Is he not a Doctor Who character? Is no. he a real character? No, Thomas Huxley's a real man. <laughs> this seems pretty par for the course from my limited memory of the show as a child. Much like the old Doctor Who episodes I remember sniffling through, this first issue had fairly boring story, really lame villains, and bad special effects, or in this case, art. I don't like to pick on artist's work, but Frasier's art here is bad. It's just bad. It looks loose. It looks unfinished in some panels. And others just don't make any sense. There's a scene where they're down in the sewers. A bunch of unnamed characters, because I couldn't follow everyone, is down in the sewers. And one of the characters is pushed off a cliff, I guess, by one of the ants, the giant alien ants that's hurting them somewhere. And Frasier... The character appears to fall to his death. Fraser uses perspective to make the falling guy look small, you know, to make him appear as if he's in the distance. 
and his horrified colleagues are drawn much larger in the foreground, yes. right? Very simple perspective trick. Art. The very next panel is one of the unnamed adventurers just sort of grabbing the guy and helping him back up. Right. Were, were this Mr. Fantastic, I might understand. Like, obviously, he stretched and grabbed him. <laughs> but no, this is just some dude. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, they're all on the same plane. And just, that panel with the perspective is at such an exaggerated degree that it makes it look like he's 30 feet away. It's bizarre, and it just didn't work at all. And that wasn't the only problem. There were some panels uh, that were just absolutely strange uh, totally unfinished looking to me there was other stuff that did look good and that's why the stuff that looked bad stuck out so much for me the writing here wasn't bad but for a novice like me i i just had no idea what was going on the doctor is just kind of throwing around names of these travelers that came with him back in time i don't know if they were part of the original show i don't know if they're important i don't know if he even named the two women that were with him in fact, I just went back before we recorded this and looked at the scene of the guy falling. I have no idea who that character is. Hey. No clue. Okay. I can't speak to the characterization of the first Doctor, because like I said, I don't know William Hartnell from Christopher Eccleston, but he seemed really dull and boring and was always willing to avoid a fight <laughs> at all costs because that might accidentally lead to action in this book. Well, uh, that's kind of Doctor Who. He, I mean, he doesn't actually... Fight per se. I mean, not really from my ex- from what I've seen, like of the David Tennant Doctor Who yeah, and Christopher you're, Eccleston. You're Eccleston kind of whooped ass. You're doing it wrong. Yeah, maybe I am. This just didn't do anything for me on an art level, on a writing level. It did not make me interested to me- read more Doctor Who. I'm giving this a leave it. Well, guess what? I didn't read it. How does that feel? I thought you said you couldn't finish it. How does that? So dumb. How does that feel? <laughs> and speaking of not reading it, Joe Patrick. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about Invincible 100 from Image? Oh, I can see which way the wind's blowing. (laughs) Invincible 100, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Ryan Otley and colors by John Rauch. Here's your solicit. 10th anniversary landmark! 100th entry spectacular! Oh my god! The death of everyone! Colon! Conclusion! It's all been building to this. That was wild. You put one rum and coke in this kid and he freaks out. There are a lot of caps in this. It's all been building to this. Mark Grayson's entire life as a superhero, all he's learned, all he's endured, it's all been leading to this one moment. Will he become the hero he was meant to, or will he choose a different path? The aftermath of this exercise issue will shock you. Wait a minute. (laughs) The aftermath? Huh? Yeah. This is the conclusion of the much-hyped Death of Everyone storyline, and it begins in a pretty unexpected way. I won't spoil it. Page one, I went, whoa! Well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and then, Well, Bleeding Cool kind of spoiled it for they everybody. They did, but not everybody okay. you know, goes I for that. It. So I, I didn't see it coming. Unfortunately, though, Kirkman spends the rest of the book shoving the last couple years of development back into the box, leaving us with an odd-feeling return to an old status quo. I will give Kirkman credit for his willingness to lay waste to the worlds he creates. He's not afraid to wipe a few cities off the map or permanently mess up a character or two. However, none of that happened in this issue. (laughs) Aside from the gruesome opening pages, the issue is completely devoid of conflict. The final battle, if you can even call it a battle, takes place off-panel, leaving the rest of the issue to be filled with nothing but talking heads as the villain explains his plan and the aftermath unfolds. Which isn't to say I didn't find it compelling, I just don't know that the issue delivers on its promise. I didn't actually expect the death of everyone, but as it did in Walking Dead 100, 
the buildup fades with a whimper instead of exploding with a bang. And like, this is a big anniversary issue, and it was just kind of a downer. Really? Uh, yeah, a letdown. I'm totally shocked. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's compelling. Let's compare it's it. fun to read. Real quick, I want you to compare it to Walking Dead 100. I would say tonally, it's the same. Really? Yeah, I mean, well, at least Walking Dead 100 had one huge shocking moment. Okay. But then the rest of the issue was just talk, 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 talk. But that was like part three of a six-part storyline. Right, right. This is the conclusion. Not, but it reads like the epilogue. It reads like the conclusion already happened. Huh. Uh, yeah. I'm shocked. That, that's totally not his style. It's true. Certainly. The art by Ryan Otley is amazing as usual. The issue is stunning, and Otley is capable of making even the talking heads fun to look at, so at least there's that. And there's no denying that, in general, Invincible is a really great book. It reads wonderfully in trades, and as superhero comics go, it's definitely one of the best. I just don't think that this issue delivered on the series' full potential. I'm giving this particular chapter a skimmit. Hmm. So that is a single leave it for Doctor Who Prisoners of Time and a single skim it for Invincible 100. Of course, we want to know what you deceased teenage heroes and crotchety old time travelers thought of these comics. So drop us your opinions over the comments section for this episode on TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's true. I'm an adult baby and sad excuse for a man that doesn't know jack shit about sports. It's true. Man, I need to read this before we record. <laughs> My co-host likes to point this out every chance he gets, but Matt will be crying in his beer this Sunday when I'm watching the Super Bowl with Super Pro and my buddies from Kickers Incorporated in our private luxury box. Despite his cruelty, I've decided to let Matt ride in the luggage compartment of the Kickers Inc. limo bus just so we can review 10 comics on the way to NOLA during this week's ludicrous speed round. You know what NOLA is, right? New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Ludicrous speed! Go! Batman and Robin Annual, number one, DC! This was wonderful. This is a great issue. Peter Tomasi is a badass writer, man. Yeah, I mean, it's written by the regular guy. The art is by Adrian Sayaf, who I'm not a fan of. I like him. I like him. Not really a fan. But... As and as annuals go, this was great. It's not tied into the main story. It's not part of an ongoing saga. It's not even essential reading. But what it was, just an annual, was a fun story from start to finish. I never got bored. I didn't feel it was padded. Remember I'm when annuals used to be like that? Boom! I'm giving it a buy it. Hawkeye number seven from Marvel. This is the issue that Matt Fraction is donating all the profit money to the victims of Hurricane Sandy. And it was great. It was just great. Another really cool, very human issue. Hawkeye helping a guy go try and save his old man who was never really nice to him as a kid. And the guy keeps calling him Hawk Guy. Hawk Guy. Oh, yeah. That's an ongoing thing. My old man and I never got along, Hawk Guy. (laughs) Steve Lieber was great here as usual. Love his work. The second storyline by Jesse Hamm did not work for me. It was a little too silly. It was kind of like the Kyle Baker that I don't love. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But regardless, strong buy. Batman Dark Knight, number six from DC. Number 16 from DC. Number 16, just like I said. This is the first issue with Ethan Van Skyver as the ongoing artist for as long as that'll last. Yeah. He's slow. Uh, and so I picked it up. I don't normally follow Batman the Dark Knight, and unfortunately, this didn't really do anything to make me want to continue Still Greg it. Hurwitz, right? Yeah, it's not that it's bad. It's just not as good as the other two main three, I'm sorry. 
Batman books that I'm already reading, and so I just don't need it. That's my complaint with Hurwitz, too. I don't need it. It's it's not good enough to stand with Batman and Robin, Batman Incorporated, yeah. and Batman. He's not bad. He's just not, he's kind of he seems to be one note. To me. Sure. I'm giving it a skim it. If you're an art fan, check it out because it's beautifully drawn. Masters of the Universe, the origin of He-Man, number one from DC. I think it's He-Man, not He-Man. He-Man. <laughs> I am He-Man. <laughs> uh, once again, DC proves that they can kick ass on these Masters of the Universe one shots. But man, that well, mini—that at least that mini series sucked. <laughs> it was not good. I heard disagreeing uh, opinions from others. I thought this was fun. I thought Ben Oliver's art was really good. I love Ben Oliver. Although I will say he's very sparse. I wish he would do more background. That's the only thing. Fair enough. His foregrounds look amazing. This is a cool story. I really wish they would do more like this with the Master of the Universe, not the crappy Master of the Universe story we got, given this one. Buy it. Superior Spider-Man, number two from Marvel. Uh, this is the issue where Dr. Octopus in Peter's body just straight up rapes Mary Jane. <laughs> just like everyone on the internet was worried would happen. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course that doesn't happen, you fools. <laughs> it's rapes, Mary Jane. In typical fashion, Dan Slott had us all fooled all along, and everyone got all outraged for nothing. It's another great issue. Uh, there's a little bit more about Ghost Peter influencing uh, Doc's actions. There's weird little vulture villains that I don't ever remember ever seeing before, like tiny little vulture gnomes. I don't, I don't know where they nice. came from. But I, this issue was a ton of fun. I'm giving it a buy it. I really like where this series is going. And I think they might wrap this whole thing up way sooner than we all think. Who knows? Injustice, Gods Among Us, number one from DC. This is the tie-in to the video game that's coming out that probably is not going to be any good. I don't think DC can make it's good It's like a weird Mortal Kombat. The last thing I want to do is like, hey, man, I, I feel like playing The Flash and beating the shit out of Batman today. You know? Like, it just... It does not interest me. That said, this was not poorly written. I wasn't crazy about the art, but it wasn't bad. They just do something. Okay, spoiler alert. They do this thing to set up the big fight in the video game. The big fight is between Batman and Superman, and it just seems really forced and kind of gross to me. I felt like Joe Patrick while I read this. So it's like, what? oh no, why would they do that? So I can only give you it. A, mean- I can only give it a skim. It. I'm not going to go into what? You mean pure of heart, morally centered? I mean adult baby. Mara, number two from Image. (laughs) You may remember I wasn't 100% thrilled with Mara, number one. I will say I liked this a lot better. Uh, The art by Ming Doyle clicked with me a little bit more. I told you she's good. Listen, I know that she's capable. And not married to Michael Avon Orman. No. (laughs) I, I know that she's capable. I just wasn't... I'm not a huge fan of her style. But this issue just clicked for me. It's a little bit better. There's a further development with the weird abilities that Mara has developed. And it's not just about volleyball. And I never really thought it was. There's just a lot going on here. And it might just be a slow build. And the second issue got my interest a little bit more. I'm only reading it for the volleyball. <laughs> well, it's just my thing. There's plenty of that. Girls volleyball, man. What I'm giving this one I'm giving this one a skim it because I'm still not 100% sold, but I will pick up and look at number 3. I can tell you that. Before Watchmen, Dollar Bill one shot from DC. Uh, this is Len Wein and my man Steve the Dude Rude working on Dollar Bill. I did not think I would care about this at all, and the whole time I read it, I had Wu-Tang Clan playing in my head. It was actually <laughs> really good, very well written. Again, DC is executing very high-quality comics with these Before Watchmen comics, and I don't think anyone is paying attention anymore. It's too bad, because they're really good. Straight up buy it. Way to go. Floating Butting Head, right up. number one. 
Hey, Floating Bunnyhead guy, I'm real sorry I sent Matt your name oh, stop. and all of this stuff to put in the script, and he didn't, oh, and I don't stop. have time to go looking for it. <laughs> this is a self-published comic. It's been out for a while, but it's new to me, and it'll be new to you. Uh, it's an Iowa City boy, and this was a ton of fun. The art is great. It's really insane, quirky, fun, literally about a floating bunny head that holds everything he needs inside of him, like pistols and... Hey, whatever, like he hacks it up and then grabs it with his ears. Like drywall from Scud? I guess. <laughs> uh, and, and his best friend's uh, a pink bear with no arms, a Mexican velociraptor, what? and a sentient piece of pizza wow. that talks in pictograms. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, I had a ton of fun reading it. That They go to a, like a Westworld style amusement park where it's a Western theme park where everything's robots. Like Yul Brynner's Westworld. Sure. Except the robots are not like Yul Brynner. You're looking at me like I don't know the Westworld. Well, you're looking at me all confused. Well, it's a weird goddamn book, apparently. Listen, it is weird. It's weird, and it's fun, and the art is great, and I laugh a lot. Fair enough. Seek it out. I'm sorry I don't have the name of the dude. I will put it in the show notes. Uh, But Google Floating Bunny Head Comic, and you'll get right to it. There can't possibly be more than one. I kind of doubt it. I'm giving this one a huge buy it. This is a great example of a amateur self-published comic. Good job. Emily and the Strangers, number one from Dark Horse. Uh, I read this comic not having read any of the Emily the Strange, I think it was called. Emily the Strange. Emily the Strange book. I really enjoyed it. This it was, was fun. great, and yeah. I immediately wanted to call my 11-year-old niece and throw this at her. Because sure, for sure. It's just fun. This is good, smart kid comics. The art is really good. Emily is adorable. She's sort of like Reed Richards, if everything Reed Richards made didn't work quite right. It's a lot of fun. Buy this. Good stuff. Crackoom! That is your Lucas speed round. And crackoom is the sound it makes when Skeletor murders He-Man's parents off-panel as not seen in this <laughs> week's Masters of the Universe He-Man origin. Wait a minute. The cartoon He-Man's parents are alive in the cartoon. King Randor? They were dead in this one. What? I don't know. Oh, man. They got waxed. Oh, man. I'm going full-on Stephen Hill for this one. I don't know who that is either. Of course you don't. As you may have heard... On our last exciting episode, we had some work done on the ziggurat. And as it turns out, our good friend Damien, the son of Satan, does amazing bathroom work for very reasonable prices. And he even stuck around to huff some paint thinner with us and inscribe some pentagrams on the Sanctum Sanctorum floor. And then ask his old man for the secrets of next week's comics. Joe, what did Satan tell you to read next week? Oh, I don't... Oh, just say his name, Joe. Satan, <laughs> Satan, Satan. <laughs> My pick for next week is Snapshot Number One from Image Comics by Andy Diggle and Jock. It is a straight-up fact. When Andy Diggle and Jock create comics together, cool. those comics are amazing. Cool, it happens. This is about a guy that finds a cell phone, and on the cell phone are dozens of pictures of murder victims. Whoa! And what are we you gonna do about that? Uh. uh it sounds like an awesome kind of crime thriller. I like the premise. I can't wait. I love that these guys are back together. Matt, what's your pick? Next week, the Dark Lord has chosen for me Green Arrow 17 from DC, written by Jeff Lemire, with art by the amazing Andrea Sorrentino. You're going to be hearing more <laughs> from that guy, and we just confirmed 
He is a man. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to pronounce it Andrea. Even though he's got a girl's name. What do you want me to say? Andrea? What do you want me to say? Something like that. Maybe it's just Andre. I dated an Andrea once. And he was not a man. <laughs> she sure. was a boy. Anyway... <sighs> Sorrentino previously worked on iVampire and did amazing art on that. I am so pleased that DC decided Green Arrow doesn't need to suck anymore and put a real writer like Jeff Lemire on it. If this is not good, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think Lemire said he's pretty much treating it as a first issue completely. I hope so, because they need to try it again. It was terrible. I agree. I'm excited for this. Uh, 18 months completely wasted. Our trade paperback pick of the week is Debris from Image Comics collecting... I think it's pronounced Debris. Debris from Image Comics collecting the four-issue miniseries by Curtis Weeby with art by Riley Rosmo about humans in a dystopic future fighting mechanized garbage monsters called Colossals. There's more to it than that. It was so good. It's an amazing read. And Rosmo, once again... Like a chameleon. Like you've never seen him before. Yep. His art is different on every project, with the exception that it is always beautiful. Yes. And this was a great read, and now that it's collected in trade form. I'm not convinced Rosmo's not like three or four different people. I, I don't disagree. Seek it out on the shelves of your local comic shop next week. You'll be glad you did. Be sure to tell us what your satanic contractor has suggested for you to read next week over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Before we move along, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Two-Headed Nerd Comicast is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels like this week's collection of The Penguins of Madagascar, Operation Weakest Link, and other stories, and the upcoming return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended back in 2007. Get to your local comic shop and pre-order your copy today. Check out ape-entertainment.com for more. If you're interested in sponsoring the Two-Headed Nerd comic cast, you can contact us at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship, and we'll take your money, fool. Joe Patrick, why don't you read us some more answers to the question of the week? Harvey Locust writes in, I'm a sucker for a limited series. I love that dude's name, by the way. It's not his given (laughs) name. I know him. I I don't care. I love it. (laughs) I'm a sucker for a limited series. I recently purchased the first Marvel limited series, Contest of Champions. Wow. And even though it contains one of the biggest continuity errors I've ever seen in a single issue, it was still a lot of fun. I don't know what he means. I don't either. I've never read Contest of Champions. hit us up, because I have. I don't know what you're talking about. I am intrigued, though. Yeah. But I agree. I love, well, loved. Now it's, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting one. But right. I loved, like, limited series were like a special deal. Like, Transformers, the limited series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was only supposed to be four, and it was so popular. It that became a 12-issue maxi series. No, when when they promoted it to an ongoing number five, said number five in a four-issue limited series. <laughs> and then the final issue, years later, said, like, number 72 in a oh, five-issue right. limited series. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. I'm right there with you. Candy Gross says, I like holiday-themed comics. For their all-out crazy, Halloween and Christmas seem to spawn some truly weird comics. God damn it, Candy, I like it too. We talked about that, <laughs> I hate uh, to we admit talked it. About that a couple months ago. I read them every year. I'm a sucker for them. Jason Manger says, I love intercompany crossovers like the JLA Avengers and Batman Grendel. Boo. Slap a die-cut hollow foil on it and just take my money. <laughs> Did you just boo Batman Grendel? No, I booed JLA Avengers. Whatever. It sucked. No, whatever. Camarillo Brio. I love his name, too. Yeah. Also not his given name. Camarillo Brillo. Camarillo Brillo. (laughs) I liked when Marvel ran crossover events through annuals. 
a la the Evolutionary War. Oh, yeah, man. The OCD part of me hates when the numerical order of the regular series suddenly has an issue that tells a middle chunk of some story like the Omega Effect did in Daredevil. Right. I can sympathize there, though I don't really hate it, but I loved the annual crossovers oh, where- Oh, they were so fun. Like Atlantis Attacks. Oh, uh, Atlantis Attacks, and that Man. is huge. Yeah. I love themed annuals. I do, too. I love that stuff. I do, too. Except for JL Ape. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, JL Ape. <laughs> JL Ape was really bad. Our buddy Jared Savitas, our DM who is waiting for us in the basement right now. Downstairs right now. We're late for the Kinky Wizards. Said, I dig me some variants, but that is a more current thing. In the past, I was always excited to see a fold-out, either a gatefold cover or a spread in the center of the book that folded out into a large panel or image. Man, I loved it too. I used to freak out. Yeah. I loved it. I'd be like, what is this? Oh, my God. It's extra. <laughs> They used to do it in the old Wolverine all the time. The old Wolverine issues, like the first 15 issues. Sure. Man, they were cool. (laughs) Dwight Brown uh, echoes Brian Seeley's statement. He loves linked covers. He especially loved the the Hush covers, which were linked together for a time, or at least the reprints were. No, it was the final issue. They did did like one villains and one heroes. Oh, right, right, right. And they linked together. Right. Or something like that. But yeah, those were great covers. Hush also had an amazing like nine- Part gatefold image of Jim Lee's version of the Batcave. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a kick ass. Yeah, it's oh man, fantastic. Truett Daughtry, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard, Truett. One of our many new new fans says, (laughs) "I loved DC's One Million Initiative. It was crazy going that far into the future. So good, and seeing what the writers thought." was going to happen in the future. I love One Million. My favorite of all, though, is the Hitman One Million, yeah. where a bunch of kids summon Tommy Monahan to the future, and he just does nothing but vomit because of time travel. <laughs> and, like, he doesn't understand what's going on, and they try to steal his power, but, you know, he's just a guy. And then they later summon Etchedig in the demon, and he murders them all. <laughs> that is so much a wonderful issue. And finally, I could not... Ended on any other note, but Daniel Elkins, who writes in and says, New Warriors number 50. Oh, God. Had sandpaper on the cover. Oh, God. Sandpaper. Amazing. I don't think it was sandpaper. I think it was grip tape. Well, it was like, like grip tape sandpaper because yeah. it was they were trapped in an hourglass. I remember. Ah, Daniel, you're a man after my own heart. Dorks. Thanks for you're writing in. Dorks. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Guys, great answers again. You nailed it. We'll see you again next week with another question of the week. And now we bring you some choice snippets from the THN second birthday spectacular Q&A. Thanks to everyone that surely tweeted and Skyped at us. And huge thanks to everyone that had the stones to get up in front of the crowd and actually ask questions. Oh, this is our friend Jared Savitas. He's also our dungeon God. master. He f***ed up my whole life last night. It was great. <laughs> things changed. Yeah, things definitely changed last night. Okay, since you've started the show, how has your reading of comics changed? You're no longer just reading the titles you love. You're reading other things for review. And has it changed how you like treat comics and read them, you know? True story. <laughs> Weekly, we go and we get our comics. We sit down right here at a table and we say, these are the ones that I'm going to read and review. These are the ones that I'm going to read and review. And every week, Joe Patrick goes, why are you doing that? Why would you pick that book? <laughs> and it's typically something I would never read. 
And I don't like it. I don't want to read it, you know. But the point is, we're trying to read a lot of different things. And I like that this show has made me read things that I would never read. Now, that said, I trash those things, generally. But there's also times where I pick something up, and I'm shocked that I enjoy it. Joe Patrick, you read G.I. Joe versus Danger Girl. Yes, I did. Which was geared towards 12-year-olds, probably. Joe loved it. I did. I am a 12-year-old. There are a lot of different comics out there. You don't have to read Grim Fairy Tales. No, I don't. But there's that's we, your choice. I pervert. get it, but I, we try and spread it out, you know. And sometimes there's busty women there. What can I do? <laughs> you know, I mean. Uh, my answer is yes. That, uh, it has changed the way I read comics. Uh, I do read things with an eye towards variety. You know, I don't pick all you know Marvel superhero comics. I try to do different things. This week we did Doctor Who comics that we didn't understand and. A comic book about a super-powered volleyball player, which I don't really dig. Uh, yeah, it's weird, though. I don't, I don't get it. I'm giving it one more. Um, and about once a month, Matt Bomb will pick something truly vile and force me to read it. It's true. For the show. It's true. I love it. There's so many different comics for everyone. Everyone in here, there is a comic book that you would like. I guarantee it. Whether you've read one or never read one, I could put one in your hands that you would enjoy. That said, the hypergore stuff isn't for Joe because he's a man baby and he's terrified of that stuff. It's not for me either, but every once in a while we bump into one and we go, well, hey, for what this is, it's good for what it does. This is from Brian DuPont. Questions about your show. Whose idea was it to start the two at a nerd? Who works harder, Joe or Matt? Mine and me. I work way harder. <laughs> uh, okay. It, we have separate jobs. Yes. Uh, it, it truly is a, a, collaborate, a collaborative effort. Uh, we both write this show. Uh, I maintain the website. I wrangle all of the writers. Um, Matt does all of the editing of the show. I write all the wiener jokes, too. He writes all the wiener jokes. Uh, I write all the news. So it's, it's pretty much a fair split. Um, Though, if you look at how much time Matt obsessively cuts out every little audio imperfection, he edges me out in, in terms of time spent, I think. When Joe Patrick says audio imperfections, what he means is the um, way he speaks with ums, um, ands, facial tics, and small strokes that he has. Um, <laughs> Zach Hollowell, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm going to completely ignore what you guys asked us not to do at the um, beginning. This is hate speech? Are you Twittering? It's, it's not, it it <laughs> could turn into hate speech if it goes right. Is this your anti-gypsy rant? Is yes, that it is. It? Okay, here we I'm go. I'm giving you guys a hypothetical situation in which you are both taken prisoner and moved to a room. Simultaneously, everyone you've ever loved has been taken prisoner and is put in a room with a bomb, and they will be killed if you guys don't make sweaty nerd love to each other. In this situation... They, they, no, they do take a little bit of pity on you guys, and they'll let you dress each other up as any superhero of your choice to make it easier. All right. Who do you choose? What if I just, like, love Joe the way he is? Huh? What if there's that? No. Okay, then She-Hulk. Yeah, the She-Hulk looks yeah, like it. Can we, can we both be She-Hulk? She- <laughs> as long as you aren't red, can that's it be acceptable. Weird lesbian She-Hulk on She-Hulk sex? Is that, is that too much to ask? I mean, come on. Oh, this is making me very I like that that wasn't even hard, though. It was like, well, She-Hulk. <laughs> was the only thing that I Duh. could think of. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, come on. Again, we want to say thanks to everyone that helped out in the planning of our birthday spectacular, specifically 
Casey Baum, Jim Heavey, my wife, Michelle Patrick, and the entire Legend Comics and Coffee staff. Here's to another year of questionable humor and irresponsible comic journalism. Which one's the birthday Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for the Super Bowl Sunday edition of THN. If two nerds saying tearful goodbyes on the internets don't make you want to smash your digital music device, you can subscribe to this show on Stitcher, where we just got accepted not too long ago. Wait, hold on. And I Tearful goodbyes. Oh, don't worry about it. Where, if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and a written review to help us get into the iTunes Top 10 exclamation point. (laughs) Huge thanks to this week's donor, occasional guest host Dave DeMarco. And if you'd like to help keep us in 49ers jerseys and Ray Lewis-style eye makeup... you know who Ray Lewis is? Does he play for the 49ers? No. Nailed it! (laughs) You can make your donation in any amount (laughs) at the new and improved twoheadednerd.com. I want to hear a Scrubs reference. You're like, I believe he's a tennis player. (laughs) (laughs) While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic that you would like us to review, like Floating Bunny Head, for instance. That's exactly how that went down. reviewed it. Don't forget to check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Like the return of Girl Meets Nerd. Casey took the week off last Monday. I guess she's got a job or something. She's got an important job at the hospital. But she has been informed that she will be beaten if she misses her deadline this week. And more Nerd TV where Dave DeMarco barbecues your favorite nerdy TV shows. This week, it's all about... Count Vertigo or something like him oh. showing up on Arrow. God, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Wait till you see how wrong they got it. <laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. We never say it. Our Twitter handle is at Two Headed Nerd. That's true. It's at really self explanatory. Yeah. How come we don't say it? I don't know, because you're a bad writer. I'm going to add that to the script right now. And if you want to hear our answers to this week's question of the week, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web-exclusive not-safe-for-winos audio blog, The Answer of the Week. <laughs> not safe for winos. Next week, send us your questions or trivia for Ask a Nerd, where you hit Joe with your comic questions or try to stump his comic Rain Man ass with your trivia. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to me. After two years of this garbage, I'm ditching my THN responsibilities and going on tour with my old rock band, Desparacitos, coming to a city near you on the East Coast and the UK and Dublin, if we have any listeners there. Which I think we do. If you want to come to the show, hit me up on Twitter, and I'll see what I can do. It'd be rad. So long, suckers. So long, Joe Patrick. If I bump into you, don't expect me to act like I ever knew you. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comments. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is a two-headed nerd and Matt Bob signing off. <laughs>